Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you guys, especially you, Matt. You're looking really good today. I hope that you guys have all had a good start to the, or I guess an end to the weekend. Welcome if you're coming in right now. Got some seats just to the back over there to the sides. Sorry, Barbara. I hope you're okay. Sorry, I'm being distracted from what I'm meant to do, and I'm distracting you all to look at the back. Barbara, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Um, so yeah, we're, we're nearing the end of our Knowing God series. So next week's actually going to be the last part of the series. And I hope it's been really, really helpful for you. Like what we've hoped over the series is that you wouldn't just learn a little bit more about how to know God. And uh, you wouldn't learn a little bit more about prayer and reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit and all of those things. Our hope has been that in the series, actually you would apply these things. You would start to do them and live them out and practice them. And that you would get to know God more for yourself. That has been our goal. That has been our hope as we fast on Tuesday. That's what we're hoping will happen more and more as we worship, as we take communion. We really want to know Jesus personally. And I think what we've done in this series is we've spoken a lot about prayer because prayer is life with God. And I hope as I spoke about the Lord's Prayer a few weeks back, which is Jesus's model for how we should pray, that you guys have felt like you've grown a little bit in prayer because prayer is a big deal for us. It's a process and something that we mature in and grow in over time. And I remember like as I was a kid, I don't know if my parents taught me this or if I learned this at school or like a church or whatever it was, but I was told that you must close your hands like this and put them right up to your face and then you speak to Father God. You know, that was like my first prayer tip. And I remember going to school, grade one, Cliff Junior Primary, and I remember we were praying in assembly. I'd put my hand up to my face and start to pray, and I'd look around and see a whole lot of kids who weren't doing it right. You know, their hands weren't at their faces. They weren't doing it right. And I think like almost the form was so important to me, you know. You say, Father, and then you end it with amen, and your hands must be here. And I'm sure like you've had moments like that with prayer. You thought, this is it. This is the key. If I just pray in Jesus' name, and then it's going to work, or whatever it is. And over time, we mature and grow in prayer from these little kind of basics to maybe memorizing the Lord's Prayer to being able to speak to God a little bit more freely and finally to get into a place where we know Him and we hear Him speak and we speak back to Him. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you feel like you're mature in prayer. Maybe you're just starting out. But I've got some good examples of some children's prayers to share with you this morning, maybe to encourage you with where you're at. Natalie, age three and a half, prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, for baby Tanner in mommy's tummy and the food in daddy's tummy. (laughs) Drew, age four, said, Dear God, thank you for the beautiful food we had and help my brother to stop telling lies to my mom and dad. He told two lies today. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Isabella is my favorite. She's eight years old and she prays, Dear God, thank you for all the dead people because at least they tried. (laughs) So those are some prayer tips and prayer pointers for all of you there. I think like all of us are growing. We're maturing in prayer. And today I'm hoping I'm going to help you a little bit more in maybe a mature, tougher area of prayer. I want to help you today when you don't feel like praying, when you don't desire God, when you're angry, when you're confused, when you've got uh, questions of God, when God hasn't answered your prayer in the way that you want, and you don't want to go to Him and speak to Him at all. And now the Bible tells us what to do in those situations, but probably what our culture would say is when you are angry and confused and God lets you down or doesn't answer your prayer in the way you want, you turn your back on Him or you blame Him for not giving you what you want. But really God gives us a tool, a type of prayer called lament that He asks us to practice and to come to Him with and to share what's on our hearts and what's going on in our mind. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 42 and look at an example of this type of lament prayer. And hopefully we will all grow out of this prayer today. 
And really what lament is, it is a, a passionate coming to God with grief and hurt. We're actually coming to God in complaint when we lament. We're sharing all of these disappointments and frustrations and angers with him, and we're bringing him bef- uh, them before him. And I know you might be sitting here today, and you're like, well, that's how I pray all the time. Maybe you are a big complainer, but I think for probably a lot of us in the room, like we feel like that's a bit sacrilegious, you know, to actually come and complain before the king of the universe, or to moan and grumble to him, to actually share our hurts and frustrations with him, and say that actually, God, we don't get you. Maybe that feels completely wrong to you. But in Psalm 42, we see that this happens. The sons of Korah, these worship leaders, full-time praise captains in the temple of God, are actually writing this prayer of lament to God because they are struggling. These mature leaders in the church are coming to God in this way. I think this helps us to see another way that we are to pray and another way that we are to approach God. So Psalm 42, verse 1 to 11, says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar, and deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now the big idea of this psalm is actually they are coming before God with a deep spiritual thirst. We are dry. We want more of God, but God feels far away. God feels like he's distant and actually he's forgotten me. Now we're doing this series on knowing God at the moment because we want to know him better. But maybe you're in this room today and you're like, I've done everything you've said, Grant. I've tried to put all of these things in practice, but God feels far. God feels like he doesn't care. God feels like he's forgotten me and is ignoring my prayers. That's how the psalmist felt at this moment feels forgotten, he's mourning, he's mocked, and internally he's in turmoil, his soul is downcast. And really this is the issue. Like the big question here is what do you do when you've got soul trouble? What do you do when you are kind of in turmoil inside? How do you handle it and how do you respond? And Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 verse 7 and says, casting all your anxieties or cares on him because he cares for you. And this is what we do in lament is we come to God with all of the stuff that is inside and we pour it out onto God. We cast it onto him, we put it onto him. One, because he loves us more than we love ourselves. You know, you might be in the situation where you feel like you're struggling. God cares about that struggle more than you do. And you know what? He knows about it before you even speak to him about it. God wants you to bring these burdens and struggles and weights to him to help him to carry that burden with you and for you. I think one of the things we often do is we bottle this all up inside. You know, all of this stuff builds up inside of us and there's like this pressure mounting. 
And actually what we do in lament is we take off the lid of the bottle and we pour all of the stuff out before God and we share it with him and we bring it to him. That's exactly what's happening in Psalm 42. Now you might think, well, this prayer of lament idea sounds a lot like prayers of complaining. And really that is what it is. And that might sound super negative to you, but one of the amazing things about this is these are still prayers of faith. This kind of struck me, you know. One of the things we can do when we feel burdened and worn down by all of this stuff is actually we just, we go away from God. We go to somewhere, somewhere else or someone else with all of these issues rather than coming to God with our problems. But when we lament, we still embrace God by faith and we complain to him rather than complaining to someone else. We bring all of these issues to him in faith that even though we might not feel it, he is still good and he is still a loving God and Father. With these prayers of lament, we're very honest, you know. These are honest, raw, real prayers where we get face to face with God and we wrestle with Him over what we're going through and how we're feeling. And maybe some of these feelings that seem ungodly, but we bring this ungodliness to Him and we invite Him into the mess. We invite Him into the problems to be with us. It's probably like when you have a bit of friction with a friend, you know. Maybe someone you love, a good friend, your best friend, a family member. And what you can do is they say something or there's confusion or they've hurt you or let you down, you could just turn your back on them, cut them off, give up on them. They've done this before. I'm, I'm over this relationship. And you just carry on with life. They're, they're behind you, you know? Or what we can do and what is healthier to do is we come to God with, sorry, we come to the friend with the issue. We say, you know, you said this and it hurt me. Or you let me down. You promised you would do this thing and you haven't done it. And it's an awkward conversation. You know, it's a hard conversation when you confront someone and you share this pain and hurt that they've brought in your life to them. But actually, it's a, a more mature and better way to handle it. And what you normally find in these situations is actually the relationship is strengthened after the tough conversation, you know. And in lament, this is what we do with God. We come to him with our hurts. We come to him with our pain and our disappointment. And we bring it to him. We wrestle with him through it. And generally, our relationship with him is strengthened through this whole situation. That's what prayers of lament are all about. And in Psalm 42, we see four steps that you and I can take to, I guess, live out this life of lament. The first step is this. We turn to God. In Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, the psalmist writes, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And rather than going to all of these other things or these other people, which we can often do, you know, we're hurt, we're disappointed, we're let down. We go to someone or something that's going to comfort us. We go and share this with a friend. Actually, what the psalmist does, rather than choosing another savior, is goes to God, their savior, and says, this is what is going on. I want you, God. You feel so far away from me. And I just want to remind you, this is a worship leader here. And this is like the hottest worship band in town. This is like Eugene or Nathan or Bethel or Elevation or whoever your favorite worship leaders are. These are like mature Christians who've known what it's like to be used by God. They've stood up in front of a church and they've sung and watched people respond in worship. They've written their own songs and they've seen the church responding to God with like these living songs of faith and what God is processing in the church. And they're moved by these things. And they're looking back and thinking, oh, I remember when you used me, God. I remember when you spoke to me. I remember when I experienced you in that way. Even though I don't feel that now, I remember those moments happened in my life when you were so real and so near, even though that's not what it's like now. They're thirsty. They're panting. They're desperate for God. And um, 
he uses those lyrics as the dear pants for the living water, so my soul pants for you. I think one of the things we think is that a panting deer is a thirsty deer. You know, like maybe if you're watching National Geographic, the deers all kind of come down in their herd and they go to the riverbed and they're panting because they need a little drink. But Shane told me a few years ago that actually a panting deer isn't a deer that's thirsty like a dog. A panting deer is a deer that's on the edge of death. They are desperate for water. If they don't get the water soon, they are going to die. And I think what happens for a lot of us is we see that and we think, oh, thirsty, just go to God, you know? Go to God, you're panting, he'll refresh you. But this worship leader is so desperate to encounter and experience God. And like this deer, comes out of the forest or the wilderness and comes down to the riverbed, panting, desperate for water, and finds nothing. Maybe that's what's happening with you in your prayer life. You're desperate for God. He feels so distant. You come out panting. I need him. I'm on the verge of death. Where are you, God? And he can't be found. That's what's going on in Psalm 42. And I want you to notice this here. You can imagine that would be a moment of disappointment. (laughs) You're looking forward to this water. You're looking forward to this drink. This is your life. And when you come out, it's not there. But the psalmist doesn't give up on God. The psalmist doesn't go somewhere else to get this drink, doesn't look to another riverbed for their supply, for their refreshing. The psalmist comes to God and says, I need you. I know you're the only one who'll satisfy. I know you're the only one who can give me what I need. So I'm coming to you even though I'm not getting it because I know that only you satisfy. They're constantly turning to God. And one of the things we've talked about a lot in this church is repentance. And when you repent is you turn to God. You turn from sin. You turn from other ways of thinking. You turn from the other things you might be following and living for. And you turn to God and to his ways and to his truth. And here in Lament, we're not turning from sin. We're actually turning from all those feelings and all of the stuff that is inside and is filling us up and all of those thoughts and all of the disappointment. We're turning from those feelings and we're turning to God with it and we're bringing it to him that he would meet us in our place of need. We're turning to him. And after we turn, what we do is we share our burden with God. Now, if you were to go through Psalm 42 like I did, and you were to highlight all of the things that the psalmist is kind of complaining about or says that they're experiencing, you'd read this. God feels distant. They're crying regularly, day and night. They're in tears. They're a sad person. Their soul is downcast and in turmoil. They lack hope. They feel forgotten by God. And they've got enemies and adversaries that are mocking them constantly and saying, where's your God? Where is God? You know, you say you're this person of faith. Where is God in your situation? And we actually don't know what their situation is, you know. We know what's going on internally. We just don't know what's been going on externally, which has made them feel this way. I thought they could have lost a job. They could have lost a loved one. Maybe they've been to the doctor and they found out actually their health is not good. Like they need treatment. It's quite serious. Maybe they're disappointed. Maybe they've got financial needs. Whatever it is, there's some tough stuff going on around them that people are pointing to them and mocking them about and saying, your God's not coming through. Where is your God? And what they do in this situation is they come before God and they pour out their soul. You know, you could think because this person is dry and thirsty that they are empty, but it's actually the opposite. They are completely full or saturated or waterlogged of stuff. And all of the stuff is playing on their head and on their heart, and they're feeling overwhelmed by all of that. And in this moment, what they do is they pour it all out before him. And I was trying to think of something that illustrates this well. I remember my first job in the church, I was leading an internship year at Redpoint, the church that sent us out and planted this church. 
And I had six young people fresh out of high school. Pumi was one of them. We had a really good year. We had some fun together. Guys learned some theology. We did some trips. We served churches, went to other nations, did some missionary work, all of that stuff. But really the big idea of the year was service. You know, we were going to serve God, serve the church. And there were a whole bunch of different ways we did that. Some were really fun. Some were tougher. But probably the worst thing that we had to do was Friday afternoons, we had to clean out Zorby, the Zorbit pit, which was this grease trap in the kitchen at Red Point. Now, if you think this church talks a lot about food, Red Point was on another level. They had two kitchens in the building. They were preparing multiple meals in the mornings and evenings so you could get your brekkie at church, get a little muffin, get a little donut, get a little croissant with cheese and jam. The evenings, multiple meals, maybe some soups. Eating was a big thing there. We'll get there one day. We'll see. But basically what would happen is there was so much food going through this kitchen. There were so many dishes being washed, cups being washed, spoons, knives, forks, that there was a lot of food and grease and gunge going down those drains and going through Zorby. So you can imagine by the end of the week, after maybe memorials or church events during the week, pastors' conferences, meetings, or whatever's going on in the building, that there was a lot of junk in this little black box. What would happen is Friday afternoon, because it needed to be cleaned for Sunday, We'd unscrew all of these bolts, take off the lid, put on gloves, a little peg for the nose, goggles, hat, whatever, whatever Pumi and the guys wanted to do. And we'd get the sieve and the bucket and scrape food and mold and fungus and fluff and stuff of every color and every smell you can imagine. It was nauseating. I would drag gag the whole way through this experience and just sieve this gunge out into this bucket. And we'd fill multiple buckets with the stuff and then go pour it out into the kind of disposal place. It was pretty gross, you know. And I want to ask you today, like, what is the state of the Zorbit pit of your heart, you know? How is Zorbi in you? What needs to be sieved out? What is nauseating? What is fermenting? What is changing color inside of you that like the psalmist, you need to pour out before God that you can be clean again? What is it that's inside of you that needs to go? We want to share our burdens with God, don't we? The third thing we want to do is we want to speak the truth. In Psalm 42, after turning to God and after pouring out their heart, this person speaks the truth to God. Now, I think this is a really important thing. Sometimes we skip step two. So we do one and then we do three, but we miss out two completely. So we turn to God and then we speak the truths of God to ourselves. God is amazing. He is loving. He is faithful. He is kind. He has forgiven me. He has saved me. Whatever it might be, we remind ourselves of those truths, but we skip out the middle step, which is really positive. And maybe you've been in that place where you've been struggling with God. You feel alone and you feel like he's distant. And you've gone to someone in this church or someone you know for advice. And they've said, you know what you need to do? Turn to God and remember his faithfulness. But there is this pouring out of our emotions. There is this pouring out of everything that is inside of us before God that is a crucial step. Actually sharing our concerns. Sharing our fears, sharing our questions, sharing our prayers, sharing our disappointments with God, because all of that stuff is clogging up our soul. We need to do that before we remind ourselves of how good God is and the truth of his beauty. But after we've poured out our hearts, we need to speak to ourselves and remind ourselves of what God is like. And I think that sounds funny, you know, like in our culture, probably speaking to yourself doesn't have the best rap. It does make you sound a little bit like an odd fellow to be talking to yourself. But actually, this is a good sign of spiritual health, that you talk to yourself and you lead yourself. So a far better preacher than I, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said these two things about speaking to yourself. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life 
is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. The other thing he said is the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself by the hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And that's really, really key, you know. Every one of us in this room have got voices in our head. Am I right? Not just me. I hope it's not just me. Otherwise, this is not going to land well. We've got these voices in our head, and some of them are super positive. Some of you in this room are some of the most confident people on earth, you know. You got up this morning, you went, oh, I'm amazing. Put on your outfit. I look good today. My hair, whoo, on point. You started to drive. You're like, I'm a good driver. I've forgotten how well I drive. You got a coffee. You're like, this coffee's good. I could have made it better. You walked in. You checked everyone out. You said hi. That was a good high five. I'm a good father. All of these things. You back yourself amazingly, you know. You've got a positive voice in your head. But some of us have the opposite. You know, you wake up in the morning. You get out of bed. You go, oh, another day. <laughs> you look in the mirror. You think, I look shattered today. <laughs> Put on clothes, you think, oh, I've got nothing to wear. Get in your car, you just think, everyone else is a terrible driver. Oh, I'm the worst. You get here, you mumble in, you grumble in, you sit down, you think, it's going to be a terrible Sunday. Oh, Grant's preaching again. And you've got that voice going in your head. Some of us are so positive and some of us are so negative. And what's going on in Psalm 42 and what Lloyd-Jones is saying to us is we mustn't just listen to those voices. We need to speak to ourselves. We need to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck sometimes and lead ourselves to believe what is true, not just what we're feeling, what is going on in our head. And the psalmist preaches to himself here. He says in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He's asking himself some questions. Like, what's going on with you, Grant? What is going on inside of you today? And now he bosses himself around. He says, Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's not just letting all of the stuff that is going on inside him rule him. He's actually speaking to himself about what he knows is true, that God is good and God is loving and God is his hope no matter how he might feel. And this is quite a big thing. So I think in our culture today, the, the idea is be true to yourself. You know, if you're feeling that way, just go with it. Like, what are you thinking? Okay, that's the way to go. And actually the scriptures say that's not the way to do it. We don't just listen to what's going on inside of ourselves. We speak to ourselves. We lead ourselves. We take ourselves by the hand to follow God and believe in God and go to God. See, feelings are a wonderful servant but a terrible master. And we're not going to be led by feelings. We're going to be led by God. We're going to be led by his word and we're going to trust in him no matter how we feel. The fourth and final thing we do in lament is we trust in the Lord. And this is the goal of lament. That we go from despair to joy and from loneliness to hope and from fear to trust. And here the psalmist is remembering again who God is and what he's done. And you know, before he was in this dark hole and now he is seeing God again and he is amazed at how God is, how good God is and what he has done and his joy is starting to be rekindled. And I was thinking about this uh, this week, you know, probably my examples of lament are personal, but maybe not amazing examples to teach you and help you. I was thinking about times I've lamented with Shell or maybe other people where you, you pour yourself out before them, you turn to them, you, you trust in them, you know, almost as a way of getting this stuff out. But I was thinking of one of the ways that I've done this with God before, and it's actually through email. It's such a funny thing, but sometimes when I've been feeling a bit overwhelmed and heavy and I've been praying and asking God to come through because I need him to, I've let Shell go to bed and I've just sat down with my computer. There's an amazing number of websites online where you can send yourself emails in the future. 
And what I would do is I'll write down this email as like a bit of a prayer to God. And I'm just going to say, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm worried about. This is what is stressing me out. Would you help me? Would you come through? And I email myself in a week's time or a month's time with this mail, and I forget about it, you know. And I carry on praying and living, but I've kind of gotten this stuff out before God. And now I wait, and I receive this email. Email I sent in August comes through in January. Something I sent in February comes through in June. And I read this, and I think, I can't believe that worried me. Like, I can't believe that was such a concern for me three months ago. Like, I'm through that. Like, that's not even in my mind anymore. God was faithful. He answered my prayers. He was good to me. He was so kind. Why was that weighing me down? And for some of you in this room, you don't have a testimony of this yet. You're new to the faith. You're exploring the faith. But actually, over time, as we walk with God, we see and we learn He is trustworthy. He hears my prayers. He is faithful. He is kind. He is good. And almost our faith and trust and knowledge of him grows to face more dark moments and tough times. If you're sitting there today and you're like the psalmist in Psalm 42 and you're saying, I feel alone. Where is God? And you're saying, I feel thirsty and desperate. God, would you satisfy me? I want to encourage you today that you have hope and reason not to be discouraged because on the cross, Jesus did everything that we need. He's provided everything that we need for every situation so we never have to be alone again. In Psalm 42 verse 2, the writer says, My soul thirsts for God. And I want you to know in John 19, it tells us that on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. I thirst. And on the cross, Jesus was thirsty once in time, so that throughout all time, when we thirst, we can find satisfaction in Him. He was thirsty in our place so that we could be satisfied in God. And He speaks to a woman about this early in John 4. And He speaks about satisfaction and says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if you're thirsty today, if you feel dissatisfied, if you feel dry, I want to encourage you to ask God for that satisfying living water, for that eternal life, for that life that comes from Jesus because he satisfies. And if you're sitting there today and you're discouraged because we've been going through this Knowing God series and he feels further away than ever, I want to encourage you because on the cross, Jesus was separated from God so that you never have to be again. In Matthew 27 verse 46, it says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was dying on the cross, nailed. You can imagine thorns through his head. He's been ripped apart by this cat of nine tails with all sorts of lashes going into him 39 times. He was bloody. He was broken. He was dying. And there's this group of people around him, mockers, like the psalmist in Psalm 42 found, and they're saying to him, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ, save yourself. You say you're God. You say you're the Messiah. Call down angels from heaven. Do something. Prove yourself, Jesus. Save yourself from this death. And Jesus took all of the sin on himself in that moment. And for the first time, the perfect son of God was separated from God. And he says, I'm forsaken. God, why have you forsaken me? But he was forsaken. He was separated from God so that you and I never have to be again. Jesus thirsted on the cross so that we could be satisfied and he was separated so that we never had to be, so that we could know God and we could be with him. And Harbor City, I want to encourage you with that today. Some of you are in amazing places with God, but there will be times where we need to lament, where we need to pour this stuff out before God and go to him with our junk. 
But for some of you, this is a moment to lament. This is a time to turn to God, to pour this stuff out, to believe the truth and to trust in Him. So can I ask us to stand together and we'll pray. Psalm 42 verse 11 says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Lord, I just ask you for every one of us sitting here today, that you would come upon us even now, Lord. As we worship, as we take communion, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us and you would be here with us. For those who need comfort now, I pray you would comfort. For those who feel dry and thirsty and far from you, I pray you would satisfy. For those who have need, I pray you would provide. For those who feel like they've never known you, that you would reveal yourself. For those who feel separated now, I pray you would come near. We welcome you in this place and we pray, Lord, that you would take us further in you and that you would satisfy us. In Jesus' name, amen.